We are in the third week of our series called Emotional Intelligence. I don't know about you if you've been coming to this over the past couple of weeks, if you're like, you know, still not quite there yet, like you don't necessarily buy into the whole, I need to be emotionally mature. And maybe that's, I think, where I've been, actually, as I've been preparing these messages. I'm like... Yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm, I want to work on that part of me. I want to, I want to just, you know, get into the theology and the Bible, and I want to hear a story, and then, you know, uh, send me on my way, right? But I, I think that God, what He's trying to do in me, what He's trying to do in all of us, is trying to help us to become people who love each other better. We love ourselves better. We love God better. We honor Him. We're a people set apart. We should be emotionally mature. And so, uh, unlike the rest of the world out there, right, you can look out to the world and you can see, you know, everywhere from, you know, athletes to our actors and Hollywood stars, even our government leaders all struggle in this area of emotional maturity. And sometimes we look to them like, oh, well, we, we, we're, we're okay. We justify the way we act and how we deal with our emotions by looking at other people, right? People that, that we look up to. But ultimately, we should be looking to God's word on how we should treat each other and how we should act and how we should handle our emotions. So I want to get ultra practical today and give us four steps to expressing our emotions. We've been talking about, uh, you know, what are emotions and where, where is the biblical basis for having emotional maturity and, and sanctification was a word that I told you guys last week, which is this idea of God trying to change us from the inside out, our mind, our will, and our emotions. He wants to come in and change our hearts and help us to better love people. And so now we're looking at some practical steps. If we understand, okay, the Bible, I hope you buy into the fact that the Bible wants us to be emotionally healthy. But now, how do we get to the point where if I'm feeling a feeling, someone does something to bother me, right? Or or I'm offended by so-and-so's Facebook post on social media. How do I respond? And by the way, that's one of the things that I have this huge pet peeve right now is uh, we definitely can't look to social media for emotional maturity right now. You know, everything we we scroll through and read, uh, people act, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Purge. Well, you probably shouldn't have because it's rated R. But the plot to the movie, let me just tell you the plot to the movie. The plot to the movie is this. It's, it's we'll let, we'll let uh, people go one day of the year and they can go sin as much as they want. There's like murder and all just kind of evil going on. And, and the basis is if people do that once a year and they get it all out of their system that the rest of the days of the year uh, is going to be hunky-dory and they're going to be living life. But we all know that that's a joke, right? That's not reality. We do evil and sinful things every day. It's not just one day we get it out of our system. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but if, if you're anything like, if you've ever struggled with addiction or something and you say, I just got to do this one last time. One last time and it'll be the last time I do it. Well, that never actually happens until we realize we can't do it that one last time anymore. And so, but this is what I think people use social media for. It's like the purge. It's like, it's not real life. It's just this, 
this, uh, you know, uh, internet reality where people aren't actually in there. So, so even Christians think that I can go and just purge all my emotions and all of my evil and my sin and my opinions on this and, and nobody's going to care and it's not going to affect anybody. I, I wonder if that was the intent when the people made you know, Facebook and Instagram and stuff, was this a place that you could just go shove all your immaturity and your emotions onto? I don't believe that that's what it was, but I'd like to rename it Sin Book, if we can call it Sin Book. (laughs) And I'm so, I'm glad that uh, I actually have a, I got rid of my personal account and all I have is the church account because I use it because, you know, if there's a platform, we should use it to glorify God, Right. And so I use it to promote the, the church and everything like that and, and the Bible and God. And, uh, but I'll tell you this, I am guilty. When I had a Facebook account, I was guilty of the same thing. Wanted to respond to everything uh, with my emotion, with my opinion, and, and it makes people angry. It hurts people. And let's just quit using it like it's the purge, right? Like it's not, it's not like... Uh, it's, it's not like we're not offending people. It's not, most people that post the stuff on Facebook, they won't say that stuff to your face. They won't walk up to you and start arguing with you about politics or religion or somebody else's opinion. So it's really super passive aggressive in the first place where I just put, put all my opinions out there uh, and just see what happens. Let's just throw it out there and see what happens, right? But I don't think it's a good place to express our emotions. So I want to talk about a healthy way on how we express our emotions. I've got four steps for us. We're going to get really practical here. The first is this. When you feel a feeling, when you're all of a sudden wanting to react to something, identify the what and the why of your feelings, and don't be afraid to admit such emotions as anger, anxiety, sadness, or disappointment. Now, what I mean by that is this. Sometimes before you react or you act, you need to stop. And you need to stop and you need to recognize, why am I feeling what am I feeling? You know, there are times, um, recently I was super convicted about uh, reacting too quickly to a feeling that I had, okay? And so I get really defensive when people talk about the church, this church or the Christian church in general. I get really defensive about it, and, and so someone, uh, you know, people have all their opinions about how church should be, right? If everybody was the leader, they would do it this way, or they, they would do it that way, or they grew up with it like this, and they like it like this, and, and so everybody's got something to, to say about how the church should be ran, and, and sometimes that bothers me, you know? I, I have my opinions too, and I tell my leaders above me, and I probably bother them as well, <laughs> but... But uh, somebody brought to my attention somebody's opinions about the church, and I just blew up, kind of. I, like, I overreacted because I didn't stop to identify why I was feeling what I was feeling. And, and part of identifying it would have been for me to say, why am I getting angry? Why am I getting anxious? Why is this building up in me? Well, it's probably because there's some insecurity inside of me, you know? There's insecurity about, man, like people hold pastors to this high level of like they're supposed to be as patient as Job, as courageous as David, as wise as Solomon, and as forgiving and gracious as Jesus is. And I'm like, I don't measure up to any of that stuff. Like that is a lot of weight to be putting on me. And 
And, and, and so I, I feel insecure, you know. That's not any of your guys' fault or anything like that. That's my own insecurities of, of me not feeling like I'm enough or that I'm, you know, worthy of the call or whatever. And so then when someone, you know, gives a little bit of criticism, my inner feeling of insecurity causes me to react. It causes me to want to overreact and do things and hurt people and say things that I don't want to say or necessarily believe is emotionally mature. And maybe, maybe there's something like that going on in your life as well. There is something that whenever your spouse says this to you, you flip out, right? Because maybe there's an insecurity going on in the inside. Or, or, or maybe there's a deep-rooted reason why we feel the way we do when people do things that they do to us or when things happen to us in our own lives, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we're good enough if we keep messing up over and over or we struggle with sin or something like that. We start to, to feel guilty, we start to feel sad. We start to feel depressed. We're struggling in this season of life that we're going through right now. And I know we're all affected by it, right? Whether it's what's going on with the government right now or what's going on with the pandemic or what's going on with the economy or even all of the other daily struggles that were a part of our life before this year came about. I know we're all struggling with something deep inside and how do we process these things? How do we identify what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And then we name it. Name what it is. And I want to show you uh, David, a courageous man, by the way. So men, you don't get to get out of this whole feelings and emotional series and sermon that we're talking about today. One of the most courageous men was really good at naming his emotions and showing his emotions. And, and so let's look at it in Psalm 143. He's going through a tough time and he says, my enemy has chased me, he's knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like in those in the grave. I'm losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me or I will die. You know, one of the interesting things about, as I was studying this and kind of understanding you know, how David dealt with his feelings, with his emotions is he was a songwriter. So he was a worship leader. He was a musician. He was writing poems. That's what the Psalms are, is they're poetic, uh, often accompanied by musical instruments, okay? And they would sing these and, and, and recite these. As, as, and, 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 and David is expressing his emotion. He's processing it through writing this po poem. Maybe some of you guys can relate to processing your emotions by writing them down. Like maybe some of you guys are, are journalers, right? Where you can, you can process stuff by writing them down in a journal and deal with it that way. You understand what you're feeling before you go and react to anyone or do anything or post. Maybe that's why people post the stuff that they do on Facebook because they're writing, right? <laughs> but they're just writing so everybody else can see it. But, but maybe there is a healing port part to writing out your emotions and I, identifying them. And then also he's singing these words. Oftentimes, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, the Christian church is that we're able to express ourselves in emotion, in worship, in music. I love music and I know a lot of you uh, music brings out this emotive part of you that might not naturally always be there. It does for me. I'm not naturally always an emotional person, but music does something inside of me that 
draws me in. It draws me into God. And those words have so much more meaning when it's played along with an instrument and worship. And so I love it. And that's what David is doing here. He's processing. He's writing it down. He's, he's, he's even probably singing this stuff. And he's identifying and he's naming what the feeling is that he is feeling. And so David was a man that was in touch with his emotions and we can learn from the way he deals with it and he processes it healthy in a healthy way instead of going and running and hiding from our emotions, not naming them, but taking in, you know, alcohol or drugs or, or being distracted or uh, diving into our hobbies or being obsessed, trying to think about other things to distract ourselves so that we don't have to deal with our emotions. That's the unhealthy way of dealing with the feelings that we feel. is trying to escape. David says, no, I'm not going to escape. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to deal with I'm going to talk to God about it. And that's my next point is step two. After you've processed it and named it and identified it, take time to pray about what you're feeling. Make a habit of bringing your emotions to God first, not as an afterthought. How many times do we you know, after trying to solve all of life's struggles, right? Maybe we have a kid who is, you know, being very rebellious or disobedient or turning away from the Lord, and we're trying to do everything we can to get him back, right? Or maybe, maybe it's a, a, a job situation. I lost my job, and now I'm trying to find one, and I'm doing all this hard work and all this research to try to get a job and filling out applications everywhere, and and doing whatever I can. And how many times by the time we try to solve life's struggles and problems do we say at the end, well, I've done everything I can. Now all we can do is pray. That's all we can do now. God's my last resort, right? God and him answering my prayer as if we don't believe as believers, as Christians, that the creator of the universe who set everything into motion and works in our lives to make everything happen in the first place, works in the intricate details of our lives as if we don't really believe what we say we believe. And we say, well, I'll throw up a prayer after I've tried everything that I can do. And sometimes God's just waiting for us if you'll just come to me with, with honesty, you know, be dependent on me. God doesn't want us to be independent. He wants us to admit that we need him, that we need his help, and that he's powerful enough to go to first as our first reaction, not as the last resort. So in that same psalm, David, David starts into a prayer. With God, And he says, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Because of your faithfulness, bring me out of this distress. Okay, so David kind of showed us those first two steps. He's processing it, he named it, and now he goes to God and he's saying, God, please show me, please Help me, bring me out of this distress. Help me with my depression. Help me understand my emotions and my feelings. Tell me uh, of your unfailing love and how, how valuable you think I am so that you can fight my insecurities inside with the things that I believe about myself. Prove, me that, prove to me that I'm wrong and tell me that. Oftentimes, that needs to be our first reaction. We need God to remind us that we're valuable 
We're valuable to him. He gifted us. He's given us gifts, talents, and abilities to do great things out there in the world. He's given us a future and a hope and a purpose in our lives. We have things that he wants us to complete and do, and we have a mission given us by him, and he has given us every gift we need to get it done. And so when we're feeling some of those feelings, they might be irrational. They might not be logical sometimes, and sometimes we need God to remind us Show me your way. I trust you. I trust that you love me. I trust that you went above and beyond to show me how valuable I am by sending your son to die on the cross for me, specifically me. You know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, you know the famous verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son, but God so loved you and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Individually, he loved you. Like that death that he died on that cross, he was thinking about you. When he was on that cross and those nails were going through his wrist and he was being whipped and beaten and bruised and speared in the side and as he's hanging there, the God of the universe is hanging there and he has the brain capacity to have every one of our lives flash through his mind. He could see past, present, and future and he knew exactly what he was dying for, for you and for me. And he knows how valuable you are that the God of the universe would sacrifice his life so that you could live, so that you could have life. We need to be reminded of that. Maybe there's things that happened in our lives where we didn't feel very valuable. Maybe uh, people that our parents, maybe people around us weren't emotionally mature and intelligent and they didn't know how to give us proper feedback and teach us that we were valuable people even when we mess up. Maybe you've been judged by other religions or other people in your life, Pharisee type people. But you have a relationship with God if you've trusted in Jesus and you can go to him and you can ask him, God, help me with this that I'm feeling. This insecurity, this depression, this anxiety. A lot of it comes from worry. You know, we're worried about ourselves. We're worried about the future. We're worried about other people and controlling things. And here's what the New Testament, Paul says this, while he's in jail, mind you, in a troubling time, we get some of the greatest Writings, by the way, with people in peril in tough times. I mean, the whole Bible is basically written in that. I mean, so David here in this time, he's being chased after and they want to kill him. And here's Paul in prison because he's going around planting churches, sharing the gospel. And here's what he says to the church. He writes a letter to him. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's saying, don't worry about anything. I've got this. Come to me. I know all of you are fixers out there. You want to fix everything, right? When something's broken, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to prove my worth. I'm going to prove my value. And I'm going to go do it myself. But God says, no, don't worry about those things. I'm going to take care of that. I can give you peace. Tell me what you need and thank me for what I've already given you. And you know how hard it is to stay in an emotion when you're actually talking to God? Like you're angry at your spouse. 
for doing something, wronging you, whatever, you know, leaving their underwear on the floor, whatever it is, and you're talking to God, and he reminds you, man, you've left your socks and underwear on the floor before, you know? (laughs) You have done those things before. This humility comes when you're talking to God, and you're in prayer, that sometimes he has that power to change the emotion of what we're actually feeling in the first place. And so again, the second step, let's go to God when we're feeling a feeling. Let's go to God before we express it. Let's ask him how he can help us, how he can guide us, how he can give us a peace even in unstable times, like times like right now. God is saying, don't worry about all this. You don't need to go out there and be a revolutionary Don't worry, I've got this. I can give you a peace that the world doesn't even understand. That's what we should be doing as Christians, by the way. We should be marked out with the people that can live in peace and trust, knowing that God is working all things out. And sometimes his timeline isn't our timeline, but he really is working. You know, maybe some of you are better than this and, uh, than others, right? I'm a fixer. As soon as I get in an argument with my wife or my kids or with anybody, I'm like, let's talk about it right now. And we won't leave this room. I'm locking the door and we're not going to leave until we solve this problem. And that drives some people a little crazy, right? So my wife, on the other hand, when things happen, she's more of a needs quiet time, needs to go be alone, process, think, and and maybe some of you are farther along like that, like she is, than I am, you know, the, con- the guy who wants to jump into conflict. Uh, sometimes we need to just go be quiet and trust that God is going to work out justice, that we don't need to worry. And then after we've done that, then we should go seek counsel from a trusted friend. Ask them for honest feedback about what you're feeling and how to respond. So this honest friend should be someone who is also emotionally, emotionally intelligent, someone who has biblical knowledge and wisdom. Let me give you the caveat to this. Sometimes, most of the time, it probably shouldn't be a family member. I've seen too many times that somebody gets offended by somebody and, and they run and tell their family because they haven't invited anybody else into their lives to speak into their lives. And now all the families pissed off at that person too because they're biased in their 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 feelings they're biased on how if 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 someone in my family is hurt because of someone or something or someone else then the natural reaction of the family is to validate the feelings and not give feedback but to actually join in on the the unhealthy emotional uh feelings that the person is feeling towards another person and so that's why the church exists, by the way. Again, I believe it's, uh, we've talked about, you know, seeking God's word, praying to God. And now we're talking about seeking God's people. I call it the Christian trifecta, right? God's word, God, and God's people. So we talk to God, we hear through God's word, and we are in relationship with God's people And those three things all together combined is how God works on us. He works in us. He works through us. He speaks to us. And so oftentimes, you know, I know how hard it is when you're in prayer and you're talking to God and you're not quite sure. He hasn't given you an audible no or yes or do this or do that. And so sometimes we need to go talk to a tangible person and someone who knows God's word and has a relationship with God as well and 
hopefully not just the family member. Now, you can talk to your family about stuff too, but recognize that sometimes they're going to be biased and not actually give you the feedback that you need to hear. Sometimes you need a, a person outside of that. And so we talk about mentoring. We talk about discipling. We talk about small groups. And that's what I believe is so important. I need, on Sunday mornings, it really is hard. Unless you're on a serving team or something and you're working close with someone, it's really hard to build those relationships where someone can speak into your life and you can give them loving feedback. And, and it's got to be loving feedback, by the way. Uh, and you've got to be able to accept the feedback uh, because, again, sometimes our insecurities won't allow feedback, our pride will say, I don't want to listen to them. I like what I'm thinking and my opinion. But humility would say, I don't know everything and somebody could probably help me. And God over and over again in his word asks us to be humble, to humbly seek God and listen to him and to his people. Here's what Proverbs 12:15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. That's harsh, but it's a reality. Fools constantly think that they're right, but the wise will go seek other wise people to help them and to give them feedback and to tell them the truth. Again, uh, I, was, I talked about this last, last service. I was talking about how sometimes I can't hear feedback from my wife very well, like because, <clears throat> you know, uh, we used to have this thing where we would drive home from church, we used to live in Ogden, so it was a 30-minute drive, and I would say, how was, how was the sermon today? What did you think about it? And she used to give me a little bit of feedback here and there, and I'd get defensive right away because I'm insecure again, you know, right? And, and so now she's realized that now what she needs to do is she needs to say, oh my gosh, it was so great. I was brought to tears. I mean, people were, their hands were raised. I saw a light beam coming from heaven down as you were preaching. It was just the best one I've heard, you know. <laughs> that's what I, you know, that's what she's realized that she needs to do with me because I'm not emotionally mature enough to hear her feedback about my sermon. But hopefully, as we talked about last week, you know, becoming more self-aware to where we can be humble enough to hear that, you know hear feedback and, and know that it's, it's got to be, again, the person giving it has to be speaking the truth in love and the person receiving it has to realize that that person is loving them and trying to help them and I might not know everything. I don't know everything. I'm not the smartest person in the world. Um, and so I need other people that's outside of myself to be able to point things out to me. Now, after we've gotten to that point, step three, we've, we've gotten to processing, naming it, then we go to prayer, and then we go seek feedback from a trusted mentor. And by the way, uh, we have great ways that you can get a mentor here. Uh, back to that website that I talked about during the announcements, you can sign up for a mentor request there or go to a small group. I've got a small group on Monday nights, and we kind of study the Bible and theology, but don't worry, it's not some kind of elite club where you're going to walk in there and you're going to feel like, Everybody knows everything, and I don't know anything. It's not like that at all. Um, it's, a, it's just a place where we build relationships, and we talk about truth, and people discover. And there are new people coming every week to all of our groups, and that's great. And that's how you build relationships. And then 
Uh, we've got a group on Wednesday night. All the ladies meet over at someone's house. There's a, there's a paper out there. We've got a recovery, addiction recovery group where we're a little bit more big on people getting mentors and sponsors so that they can have more accountability in their lives. Sunday uh, at 3 p.m., probably one of our best groups, the more mature people out of all of us, they lead an awesome group at 3 p.m. It is, it, uh, they are, it's the 50-plus group is what it's called, but anybody's invited and anybody's welcome to that as well. And so I would, I would, I would love for you guys to check out a small group over the coming weeks and months and, and, or just ask for a mentor and I'll try to get you hooked up with someone. But after you've done all that now, you've prayed, you're finding a mentor, you're asking people for feedback, the last thing then is this. Make a productive plan that invites peace, not war. First for yourself, then for others. Sometimes we may not be able to reconcile the feelings that we're feeling on the inside until time passes. And so sometimes what has to happen is you've kind of got to just give in, let it go, give it to God, as we've talked about in prayer, and you've got to be that peacemaker. The Bible is very clear that he wants us to live in peace and be people who uh, seek peace. And one way to do that, again, is to fix our thoughts on what is right rather than our own thoughts. In Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The Bible tells us that we're to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so let me tell you why Jesus can say that. Because we were all enemies of God. We all have gone against him, offended him, hurt him, have been terrible to God. But he came down and sacrificed his emotions, his feelings, his physical body so that we could be forgiven. And so sometimes in relationships and in our emotional struggles, sometimes we just have to forgive and let it go. Sometimes we have to absorb a little bit of pain. We can't always exact and require reconciliation from people who aren't ready to give it yet. And the Bible tells us that we were all enemies and sinners and we weren't ready, we weren't worthy, we weren't willing to come to God. So he came to us and made things right. He came to us and made peace with us, the Bible says. Between us and God now, we have peace. We don't have that broken relationship anymore. And so that being said, how does God want us to live out there in the world? We need to make a plan to be those peace makers out there in the world, not out there trying to start wars and fighting things that aren't our battles to fight. Even when it comes to our internal battles and emotions and struggles with our insecurities, with our depression, sometimes you got to forgive yourself. There are things inside of you that you're holding against yourself that you need to say, you know what, God forgives me, I forgive me. I want peace. I don't want to feel this feeling anymore. So as we're talking about being emotionally healthy, how we love ourselves and love others, how can we get better then at being peacemakers and shine as lights for God out there in the world? In a twisted world where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes and nobody has emotional intelligence, surely God's people should be the ones who have peace 
in these troubling times where people look to them and say, how are they dealing with this? How are they going through all that they've been through and going through? I'm a wreck and they're at peace. How will we reach people for God unless we become this way? So I want to close with Philippians chapter 2. God's words are better than my words. And so as we read these words together, it's a lot of verses, but I hope that I know that God's word does what it says it's going to do. It doesn't come back void and empty. It performs a purpose. And so sometimes just the reading of God's word can come into you and change your thought and your life, your emotional life. And so I want to read this to you, and then I'm going to close with the gospel. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. That's the Christmas story, by the way. God put off his God, some of his godly attributes to come down to be born like us, like a baby, and then to grow up only to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How then should we conduct our lives when communicating with other people, in relationships with other people? How do we find our value? Well, it's in what he did in us and for us, and now what he wants to do through us. We can be peacemakers out there in the world. We can be shining bright like lights. We don't have to be fighting over things that aren't our battles, especially in the church with our different political views and opinions and our religious views and opinions. And here's what it goes on to say in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is telling this church, I want to be proud of you, how you guys conduct yourselves out there in the world. I want you to know Jesus Christ is the model and the example. He humbled himself to the point of death to make peace between us and God. How can you guys go do the same thing? How can we go and forgive and to love others and to hold our tongues and to stop for a second and to process what we're feeling before we vomit it out all over the place and on to other people? How can we learn how to seek God in all of these things and follow after him and show him that we are so very grateful for dying on the cross for us, that we are so very grateful that we couldn't have done any of this by ourselves, but you did it for us. And that's what he did.
He knew we couldn't do this on our own. He knew we couldn't save ourselves. He had to come find us and save us. Sometimes we've got to have that patience with other people as well. But God, we need your help. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we come to you, Lord, asking for forgiveness where we've gone against you, where we've uh, been hasty in expressing our emotion and not worrying about who it's going to hurt or offend. God, we, we ultimately ask for forgiveness for what we've done against you. And I pray, Lord, that that you would give us the help we need to go out there and be those shining lights in the world. I don't believe that the world will get better. I think it will continue and continue to be harder and harder and harder for us and for the world. And so we need you now more than ever. We need you to help us live our lives out on purpose for you. And along the way, we can learn to love and we can experience joy and peace and we can let things go and slide and, and we can become emotionally mature. I just pray that you would help us all to do that because we're representing you and we don't want to give you a bad name out there in the world. So God, help us to learn how to do this. Let us leave here changed today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.